Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. I'm Mike Chipos, man. I got this, yeah. Ankle Pickers, Poha, and welcome back to a dot five episode of the Ankle Pick Pod that won't quite feel like your standard dot five episode. We got a special guest on the program, sat down earlier this week with none other than Tony Gravely. He's got an upcoming fight this weekend in the Apex Arena, and he sat down to chop it up with us a little bit about his background, his fight this weekend, and just an overall good conversation. I had a blast. What do you guys think? I absolutely loved it. Tony's just a phenomenal guy, as nice as they come and as talented as they come. And I can't wait to see him fight this weekend and see his UFC career just balloon. Great guy. Yep. Super fun conversation with one of the most exciting bantamweights in the division, a division that I've said is one of the most exciting in the sport. And yeah, I'm super excited to see him fight this Saturday and and dominate, hopefully. So we've got that interview coming up. Stay tuned for our regularly scheduled set the spread portion of the episode immediately following the Tony Gravely interview. So without further ado, here is Tony Gravely. Welcome back, Ankle Pickers. We told you we got some stuff in the works, and we have a very special guest on today to answer some of your questions before his fight this Saturday on ESPN. He's going to be on the prelims card. It is one of the most exciting bantamweights in the UFC promotion. We want to welcome Tony Gravely to the show. Tony, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me on. Absolutely. How are you doing today? You feeling good? Everything going well? Doing great. Yeah, everything feels good. Can't, can't, I feel good. Can't complain at all. Good. It's, that's what uh, I to hear. Is this uh, the uh, best thing. you've ever felt? Best camp you've ever had? <laughs> yeah, I guess. You know, like, I feel like every time, you know, every, every fight going into it feels, you know, should feel like that. And sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But uh, I, I feel really good. I feel, uh, you know, no complaints about, you know, everything leading up, how I've prepared, um, the training I've, I've got. So, uh, I'm, I'm ready to go. Sweet. Perfect. So let's kick it off. We got a little bit of your background going. So we know you were an, uh, division one wrestler at Appalachian state. And we also know that your dad was a Taekwondo instructor so growing up. You've been around mixed martial arts since you were a kid. Can you just tell us about how that background and, and being in wrestling really formed like your love for the sport and, and got you into it? So, yeah, I grew up in a martial arts household. So almost everything that I watched growing up was fight related, like any kind of martial arts movie you could think of, boxing, MMA, like before, like before MMA even had the rules set that it has, like when it first started, um, I watched that. So it was always something that I enjoyed. And I actually watched MMA and was kind of into that before I even started wrestling. And then um, I started wrestling in middle school and, um, you know, I did, I did talk about my dad up until then and I started wrestling. I kind of focused everything on wrestling and then I wrestled through college. And then, um, after college I got into MMA. So it's kind of my entire life, little pieces have kind of led to this. And now at this point, you know, kind of putting everything together and now I get to make it happen as, yeah. as a career. So you mentioned in the uh, post-fight interview for your Dana White contender series fight, that it had been your dream 
to make it here since you were seven years old. Were you referencing kind of a specific moment, whether it was one of those events you were watching a movie or even just a Taekwondo competition or a wrestling meet or something? No, just kind of like, just as, as a child, just not no specific event, but just, I remember watching it and, and telling my dad that this was what I wanted to do. And back then, especially since it was like extra barbaric back then with like no rules, yeah. no weight classes, he was like, no, you know, you, you don't need to do that. Cause he's really big on, you don't like fight unless you have to fight. Even if it's like a, like a, you know, I mean, martial arts, we did, we mm-hmm. did sparring at, at competitions, but it was, it wasn't full contact, you know, it wasn't like, right. I'll take you down, I'll break your nose, you know, it was like <laughs> controlled contact. And, uh, and back then it was a lot more brutal too. So, um, but I, I remember watching and saying like, this, this is what I want to do. This is, this is what I want to be when I grow up. And, and when you're younger, you always have like something that you want to do and then life happens and then you kind of forget about it. And you just, were there any fighters that caught your eye when you like, yeah, I was going to ask that, like, do you have like a favorite fighter growing up? Like we watching pride or what was that like? Yeah, I watched. So back when I was watching like, like pride and UFC, when mm-hmm. I first started, I was so young where I can't really exactly remember every fighter, but you know, the, the first fighter, obviously that everybody remembers is Hoist Gracie. Um, I remember watching like Sakuraba fight. Um, see people. So like growing up and then like into middle school, it was more like I really liked um, Matt Hughes. I liked Rampage, um, or Andre Alowski, who actually is um, on the card. Is that yeah? He's on the card, and he uh, he trains at our gym now. Oh right. So, well, I train at his gym now. You know, I'm yeah. not saying it's his gym. I train. Yeah. At his gym. So we train at the same gym. So it's cool, like him and um, fighters like that. It's crazy how I watched I watched him fight. And he's always been one of my favorite heavyweight fighters. And now we train at the same gym and we're on the same card. Very cool. Yeah, that's so cool. Because I grew up watching Pride too. I just, I didn't have the wrestling background like you did. I didn't get into it. Um, That's awesome. I love when people like find their dream and, and, and capture it. So we have this argument on the podcast, like all the time, All, all our listeners are familiar with it. So we talk about how there's like different foundations that start your MMA career. And we always debate which one's the best. Danny thinks Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is the best foundation. And I've always been a proponent that wrestling is the best foundation to start an MMA career. Can you help me win the argument? Just put it I, to bed. I think, I think wrestling, and I'm a little biased, but uh, I think wrestling, wrestling because, uh, for example, like let's say uh, the wrestler or the heavy grappler dictates where the fight goes. Um, if I'm a wrestler, um, I can take people down a lot. Sometimes you see issues with someone can be a phenomenal grappler, jujitsu guy. They can't take the person down. Then, you know, you can have some issues with that. And also um, it also depends too. I mean, it doesn't mean that every wrestler is better than every grappler, you know, but um, I think that uh, a wrestler with solid fundamentals um, wrestling is all about keeping good position, you know, keeping everything tight. It was in um, not like a long neck. So things like that that you learn from wrestling translate over to jujitsu. And if you are really tight, you know, good, good posture, things like that, it's hard to get a lot of submissions off. And then when you can punch somebody at the same time, it's a little different, you know? Oh, definitely. So I I come from a jujitsu background, obviously. Um, and what he mentioned, but one thing I've noticed in your fights is you really aren't intimidated, aren't apprehensive at all about engaging with these high level jujitsu players, 
uh, in the grappling department. Is, is that confidence something you've always had in your grappling or is that something you've learned with uh, drilling and rolling with these high level jujitsu players and whether it's at AT&T or AT, whether it's, <laughs> whether it's at ATT or, or where else? Um, it's a little bit of both. You know, when I first started fighting, when you first start fighting and you come from like mostly wrestling, you're naturally going to want to take somebody down anyway. So, but once you, you know, when you don't know grappling, you know, you get caught in submissions every now, like when you first start. And then once you realize like what you need to do, it's a little easy, not easy, but cause you're always going to be in the threat of someone if they have, yeah. if they know jujitsu, but um, it, it took some time to realize um, what things from wrestling don't translate over to fighting. Cause not all wrestling mm. moves are good for fighting. Um, and you, you learned that from the start. There might be some moves you do, you used to doing in wrestling, they work. And then now you're in a submission when you're grappling. So it just took some time, um, you know, kind of getting rid of what, what doesn't work and sticking to what works and learning how to, how to make it be more effective, how to strike from there and things like that. So it's, it's yeah. definitely like a, a learning curve. Yeah. That was actually kind of one of the things that I really wanted to hear from you is, what was it like? Cause you have such a phenomenal being a division one wrestler. You have such a phenomenal foundation of wrestling and wrestling your whole life. What was it like? Kind of like, cause just, especially from the tape I've watched of you, you're not afraid to mix your hands in. What was it like building other disciplines around your wrestling? Like, did you enjoy training striking more jujitsu? Or is it kind of just like, what was it like kind of putting it all together? It's um, I, I like, I like everything, but I'm always going to like <laughs> wrestling more just because it's something that I've done so much. And it's yeah. like, second nature but I actually I do enjoy striking and the more you start to like dig into all these other things it makes things that you're good at easier to get to so because now that I don't mind striking now my takedowns come a little easier because now when we're striking we're, we're engaging in this and in, in this you know in striking on the feet and then people almost forget about takedowns you know they, they just yeah. want to hit you and then you disappear and you're underneath them and they're on the ground so and then same way, if I hit somebody and uh, I want to get them to the ground, if I hit them good, the, the takedowns can be a little bit easier. So it's learning how to mix them is what makes you better at whatever your skill set is. Like it makes it even better if you if you have you know more knowledge of other things as well. More things for that's you to of, think about. Yeah, that's one of the things that really impressed me. I was when I was watching your Dana White Contender series originally, I was really impressed because like came in thinking you were just going to wrestle. I was very impressed with your stand-up ability. I, it was, and so seeing someone who I thought was just going to wrestle be able to strike, it showed how lethal you can be in this sport and how you mix everything together. So speaking of the Dana White Contender Series, there's a lot of different routes to the UFC. People always talk about them, other shows and stuff. What was your experience like on Dana White Contender Series and that whole process as a whole? It was, it was awesome. It was, I remember, <laughs> I remember when we, we had to come in early to do uh, like to do all the different like interviews and they had to do the recordings for all the like TV production and stuff. And I remember um, I was just so emotional the whole time I, I had, they asked me questions and just, it was almost like you watch the ultimate fighter, how they do the, they do the interviews and the, the chairs turn backwards and you're sitting in the, you know, in mm -hmm. front of, backwards in the chair and they're asking you questions with your arm folded you know and I just got so emotional they asked me a question and I would just like keep tearing up and get like so emotional it was hard it was hard to like answer the question just because like just thinking about how far I've come and like like you know I, I worked so hard to get here and you know, this is it you know this is this mm -hmm. is the ticket this is 
do or die. This is the one thing that like, I know if I win this fight and I look good, chances are I'm going to get signed. You know, you can win the fight and still not get signed. But, you know, if you, it was like one of those things where this was it, this was the opportunity and there was no way I was going to let it, let it like slip through my hands. So yeah. um, just building up to it, it was super emotional, but, but it was good emotions. It was emotional that helped me dig deeper and just, you know, help me refuse to, to not get the job done. Awesome. And, and going off of that uh, contender series fight, I know that this upcoming fight is going to be your third of your last four in the apex. Um, it's got to be a little bit um, comfortable just knowing that you fought here before you're comfortable in the cage. And I was wondering, is there any specific differences that you notice from your fight and rally versus all the experience you've had in the apex cage, whether it's hearing your coach, hearing your opposing coaches, or just kind of how different the atmospheres might be. Well, the, the biggest difference is like the, like you said, the noise, the sound, because I was, I was actually, I'm actually very fortunate. I got to make my debut when you could hear all that and you get the full experience of the crowd because that's a different aspect. at home too. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so it's very close to where I, where I live. So like I had people from Virginia, North Carolina, um, everybody that I've met throughout my entire life pretty much was there, you know, everybody that I, um, have, no, have known, especially come from a small town, everybody, you know, there aren't many people that do things like that, whether it's, doesn't matter, not just fighting, but very few people like go on to just chase something bigger than like just an everyday job, which if somebody wants an everyday job, that's, you know, there's nothing right. wrong with that, but um, very few people um, take that leap of faith and, and go on to do something like that. So everybody was behind me in that, in that aspect. So you know, there are people that I'd never met before that just saw that I was from Virginia or, or Martinsville or something, you know, and they came and watched anyway, or either they were from North Carolina and saw that I went to Appalachian State. So they just, you know, came, came to watch, but it was cool just to hear all that. And then the apex, which I guess I, I kind of got a feeling of what it's like to not have the fans with the contender series. But then again, I, I also could have minimum fans there so um minimal fans so I, I think I had like 15 people come so and they were still pretty loud so that that's a little different but so in November last fight um it was a lot more quiet you can hear your coaches and I enjoyed being able to hear the coaches because it's mm -hmm. just like practice you know you're sparring you can hear everything they're saying all the instructions they call out and that was the first time I could ever really hear that well what was being what you know my coaches are saying to me so um i actually enjoy that but i do miss having the fans and the screaming and whether yeah, it's going to me or booing or anything yeah, we're excited to be back we'll be in houston but yeah they'll, yeah they'll be in Houston. but which one do you prefer do you prefer the sign because you've had both in your career so do you prefer the crowd or do you prefer kind of being able to hear your coaches a little better it, it's hard to it's hard to say that i don't enjoy the crowd because that's just a different aspect but yeah. hearing is also good too you know so <laughs> I, I don't know it, it's hard to say that um you know especially like the crowd that I got to experience was more heavier my you know more favor towards me so it's hard to say you know I'd rather have <laughs> nothing than to hear all these people cheering <laughs> right <laughs> definitely I do enjoy the fact that the cage uh like the octagon like the one from January from January uh, my debut mm -hmm was a lot bigger 
and now in the apex, it's a lot smaller. So I always like small cages because as, as a grappler and as a forward fighter, um, the action gets, gets together a lot quicker when there's less space for someone to move. So I enjoy the small cage. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, you touched a little bit on your fight uh, this last November. Is there anything that any kind of tweaks or adjustments you're making in camp from that split decision that you're willing to share? Obviously we don't need you to expose anything you don't want to, but um, it was a great fight. And I'm just curious to see kind of where you're at going into this camp and or kind of even before this was booked, um, what you were thinking. I guess, you know, the biggest thing is not letting it go to the judges. You know, I, I didn't think it was a split decision. I thought that I, you know, it was going to be unanimous, but um, it was a split decision. And what sucks is like, you know, that the one judge could have made the difference. You know, I could have, you know, I thought I was like 100% that I won. And, you know, one other judge could have flipped one round and uh, I could have lost that fight. And it's crazy. And the guy that that actually lost, he just got released from the UFC like a couple months ago. So that could yeah. be me. You know, I could be that guy on the release side because that would be two losses in a row. So, um, you know, I definitely don't want it to go to the judges. And I've watched some of the fights this past yesterday, those fights. There were some fights too where I'm like, I don't know where they where these judges got this from. Yeah. And the commentators <laughs> were saying the same thing. So, you know, I, I don't I don't like the I never liked it to go to the judges anyway. But um, you know, last fight I, I fought a little too um a little too conservative. There are things I could have done to to um you know accelerate the action and got more um pose more threats, but it was, you know, I got to the point where I was like, you know, I just want to win and uh I don't really like fighting like that anymore. So I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not going to fight. Um, I'm not going to be um, dumb in the way I approach the fight, but I'm definitely going to push more action and look to get a finish for sure. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I know Dana has been saying that from like, don't never let go to the judges. It's gotta be scary. Like even when you hear his name, I bet your heart just sank. You're like, Oh gosh, yeah. what? I was like, yeah. man, are you serious? Like I thought it was going to say, you know, because when they first read him off, Especially with the one judge of the 3027. Yeah, yeah. Was it 3027? Uh, did they give him a 3027? I know you got the 3027. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, when that's that's how I had it scored. That's how I had it scored too. <laughs> like, I thought it was going to be 3027 across the board. And the only yeah. iffy round was the third, I would say, would probably be the only iffy one. Um, Just to the end. Only, but you dominated the, the majority of it. Yeah. And that's what I thought. And, you know, it, it goes to them and they're like, it's a split. And then the only round, which I thought that I might would possibly lose would be the third if I lost one. And every judge gave me that round. And all the, the first two rounds that I knew for sure I won, some other judges gave it to the other guy. So I didn't understand. Yeah, crazy. Um, so uh, as gamblers, so this is, so one of the things we talk about a lot on our pod is just gambling and lines, stuff like that. We watch a ton of, tape going into fights so because we bats we want to get an informed decision do you and your coaches use film in prior fights as far as like helping you prep for upcoming fights like do you spend a lot of time in the film room or is it mainly just extra training like do you, do you use film as an, to your advantage it's mainly extra training i mean usually mm. when someone gives like when they give me like a name to fight somebody and i sign a fight um, I might watch one or two fights, like the last two fights or so, just to kind of get an idea of what type of fighter they are. But after that, it's like I might watch it once or twice, and then I don't watch anymore because I feel like a lot of people get so caught up in what someone else is doing, 
And that's how life is too. People get so yeah. caught up in other people that they just forget about themselves, you know? And instead of worrying about what this guy's doing, how about I just better what I'm doing? So now this guy's got to worry about me, you know? So I, love that. I try not yeah. to get, try not to get caught up in, in what he's doing because my goal is to push the pace and get in there and do what I do before he even does what he does. So um, make him worry about me instead of me worrying about him. That's always been my, my mindset and my approach in every fight. I love, so do you use, do you watch your own film at all? So like, do you go back and watch prior fights that you've had to see? Cause I always say that one of the best things that I like to bet off of is experience. And that's something you can't train. You can only earn that. And so have you ever gone back and looked at your old fights to see like, Oh, I kind of, maybe I pushed the pressure here and I wasn't supposed to something like that. Or do you kind of just leave it in history and just push forward? I used to like a part of me wants to be like, Oh no, you know, I don't want to see myself fight because you're going to be so critical, but it's good to be critical to a certain extent, you know, sometimes I'll be like, no, nah, I don't watch anymore. Like I'm embarrassed. I did this wrong, <laughs> I do this, you know, but it, it's good yeah. to watch. And sometimes I do watch and I, um, I watch and just to see like what I did wrong. Is there, if there any, if there's anything that I continuously did that I shouldn't have done or, you know, things where situations where I'm like, Oh, I should have capitalized there. I should have did this there. So it's good to, um, I think it's good to, to watch and be critical of, you know, what you're doing and understand what you did and didn't do right. And just learn how to, how to take it and take the advice. I um, mean, learn, well, not take the advice, but take what you did, process it and, and do, do better, you know? Makes sense. Yeah. I, it, that's interesting. Okay. We know that you recently moved uh, camps. You're down in coconut Creek and you moved your whole thing. I guess, can you tell us a little bit how different uh, is, is your fight camp now based out of coconut Creek or is it, kind of the same kind of process that you used to go through um it's it's definitely different in the fact that um i have so many um training partners to work with that are phenomenal fighters some of the training partners are are fighters that i watched fight before i even started fighting so it's crazy to think like one of those things where i talked about earlier you used to watch these people fight i i didn't even know i was going to start fighting I, I was at the point where i started i started working as a construction project manager so what i was I, um i majored in uh building sciences construction management so that's what i was doing and uh you know there was a point where i was like oh you know this will be this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Now, you know, I'm going to sit at this desk and be a project manager, which isn't, isn't bad, but it wasn't me because yeah, I, it's not what you, yeah. I don't like to sit still. I don't like to not be active, especially my whole life's been activity, been sports, athletic, athletics, combat sports. So um, I would watch these people while I was, you know, just working, had, had no, I, no idea that I would even get into fighting at that time. And now these people are my training partners. Um, they help me get ready. Sometimes I have the honor of helping them get ready for fights. So um, it, it's cool to have that and to feed off that energy, that positivity, that um, and that like camaraderie, that brotherhood type thing with people that you look up to. Yeah, it, I, your story is just. I love that you've your whole life you've been pursuing it. Now you've achieved it, and you're and now you're down at ATT, and it's just. Awesome to see how that all worked out. So um, one last thing. So we're going to, to wrap things up, we're going to go to our producer with a question that we crowdsource uh, from some of our listeners. Kobe, go ahead. All right. Yeah. So Reese kind of mentioned it. We're obviously a little bit geared toward the gambling side of the UFC and that's kind of how we got our, st our things started. Um, so 
from the listeners, the line that's set in Vegas, is that something that you're familiar with when you're in camp training or is that something that's more out of sight, out of mind? Um, I usually don't know unless somebody like tags, like people will tag you on like Instagram and Twitter and stuff. So I I never even pay attention really to to that because in my head, I'm always a favorite, you know, I never go in a fight thinking, Oh, I'm going to lose this guy. You know, in my head, I'm always going to win. So I don't really pay attention, but when I do see this, like, Oh, it's cool to think that, you know, people have confidence in me, but um, at the end of the day, I really don't pay too much attention to it. Yeah. I, yeah, I was, I always wondered like if it's something that knowing if you were a favorite or an underdog, if that's something that would like affect you anyway, mentally going into a fight. That's interesting. You just out of sight, out of mind. But I, I do like, I do, I take that back because I do like when people say that I'm going to lose, I, I do like that, mm. that extra like chip on your shoulder to want to prove someone wrong. Definitely. Yeah. I love that. You'll never hear that from us. You're uh, a lifelong friend of the ankle pick pod, Tony. Thank you so much for coming on. We really, really appreciate it. And uh, before we let you go, one last thing, how do you see this fight? Any predictions for this fight this Saturday on ESPN against Anthony Burchek? I usually don't really have predictions, but I, I really feel like um, I'm going to finish him in the second or third round. I think it's probably not going to be the first round. Um, I think the first round is going to be, um, I just want to wear him out. I think the first round is going to be the round that wears him out. I think he, he comes out really hot. Uh, seems like the first round and I uh, feel like, you know, once we make it through the first round and he gives me everything that he can possibly give me, I feel like the second or third round is when he's going to, um, my pressure is going to get it to him and I'm going to get a finish. I think it, I, I have a feeling it's going to be a knockout or a TKO in the second or third round. All right. You heard it here first, people. Finish. We're not, no more judges. That's right. I, I can't have those judges, those, uh, those judges that are not paying attention to the fights mess me up. Unreliable. <laughs> Right. There we go. So all about the finish for Tony Gravely. We really appreciate you coming on. We cannot thank you enough. And that's a wrap. Well, that was Tony Gravely. Thanks again, Tony, for coming on the pod, chopping it up with us. That was an absolute blast. Really enjoyed your insight to all things fight week and coming up through Dana White Contender Series and into the UFC. It was a blast. So we will get to Tony's fight against Anthony Burchek and start to break that down a little bit later in the week with our regularly scheduled programming. Looking forward to that coming out, like we said, later this week. And for now, let's jump right into the set the spread portion of the episode. We've got six fights on the main card this week that is headlined by Bobby Nux, Robert Whitaker, and Kelvin Gastelum at middleweight. First up, on the main card, we've got Ricardo Hamos and Bill Algeo fighting a featherweight bout. DK tied things up last week, four to four in the set the spread for the season long race. So he will kick things off this week. DK, Hamos Algeo. Yeah, this is a tough one for me to, to cap or to set the spread for. Uh, Algeo is a guy who he doesn't, he trains at Algeo MMA and kickboxing. So it's not really a real team. He doesn't have high level guys that are, he's rolling with. Um, and Ricardo Hamos is at team alpha male. So kind of the same deal. <laughs> Might as well. um, and, and, and then you look at their record, one of them, or uh, Algeo's coming off a win, but it's to spike Carlisle who I don't put a lot of weight in. He's a guy who's no longer even in this, uh, in the promotion. Uh, and, 
Hamos is coming off of a loss to Lee Roan Murphy, a guy who I have a lot of respect for. And so that one's not too big. Both of his losses recently are, are, are really not bad losses with the Saeed Nurmagomedov one there too. Um, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to lean Hamos as the favorite, but it's going to be close. Um, it's probably like minus one thirty, Hamos. Yeah, that's a really good line. I was very similar. I <clears throat> I've rode Hamos a lot, even though he's a team alpha male. I think he's one of the brightest guys. He's, I think 25 or 26 years old, so he's one of those guys that's got a lot of room to still grow in the sport. Danny, I'm with you. Lerone Murphy and, and Saeed, I mean, can, can you really complain about those losses? No. I do remember being disappointed, though, with the Gargori fight, even though he finished that one instantly. But with the Journey Newsome fight, he actually made that fight look harder than he needed to. But I still think he's beyond talented, 25 years old, losing to the top guys. Bill Algio is the one I can't get the read on. That's what concerns me is I he trains out of his own gym, like you said, and he beat – um spy carlisle in his in 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 one two ufc fights the other one was unanimous loss so i don't i think this is a big step up for him in in competition and i i just don't really know where to to lie on this one uh, another contender series alone but he actually if i remember correctly he caught an l on that i i think i'm with you dan i just think i'm gonna go higher i think i'm gonna go ricardo hamos minus 150 and I'll do Bill Algio plus 130. This one opened minus 110 both ways. It's only been on the books for about a week and a half. Bill Algio is actually the favorite as it currently sits, minus 115, minus 105. So really not a whole lot of difference there from a pick But Algio is going to be the favorite, and DK is going to take the first point. I'll be looking at some tape, but that could be a spot. I think that come could, the end of the week. That could absolutely be a nice spot. I agree. Second fight on the main card, we have a lightweight bout, Luis Pena and Alexander Munoz. Reese, go for it. Okay, this one's a little bit easier for me because I'm very familiar with violent Bob Ross. I think he's a guy who has yet to truly show what he's capable of. I remember for anyone who watches The Ultimate Fighter, he was one of the guys who got injured, couldn't fully show himself. Since then, I think he's done pretty well in the UFC. I I'm going to get his record up now. I just don't, same as usual, I don't know much about Alex Munoz. I, I mean, I, he's, I'm familiar with him, but he's, a re, re, he's relatively young, and there's not enough tape to, de, to really determine where he's supposed to go. Oh, he had a guillotine. Sorry, not to go back and forth, but Violent Bob Ross had a guillotine lost to Kama Worthy. <laughs> that's terrible. I think it was a standing <laughs> guillotine, too. All right, that's a tough look. I won't lie. That's actually going to lower the line. Um, this one's going to be tough, Dan. I, I think you might get a point here. The only thing I really see to take away that I remember watching is the loss to Nazrat, who obviously is usually a pretty heavy favorite in this sport. I think Luis Payne is going to be favored just because of his his he's a little bit more name recognition. I just don't think it's going to be by a whole lot. I'm going to stick with the same line as last. So I'm going to go Luis Pena 150, Munoz plus 130, but I could be so far off you. Like I, this one's a, this one's a freebie for you. I feel like. Remind me your number. 150 Pena, 130 Munoz. Good number. Um, you think so? I, I, I see it how you see it. I see an unreliable Bob Ross, but a guy who has a name, a guy who's kind of recognizable and a guy who, 
who fans like to bet. And I look at Munoz getting his debut versus Nasrat, and that's a lot of respect. So I'm going to go lower. I'm going to go mm. Pena minus 125, minus 125. So as tight as you guys are, minus 125, minus 150, you actually split it. Minus 145, <laughs> Luis Pena is your favorite. So Reese is going to take oh. the points. But y'all are right there. Wow. Yeah. Let's just, I just want this to be out there. Luckiest point in set the spread history right there. Seriously. <laughs> I, that was, I was prepared to eat shit. Okay. Let's go. Next fight on the main card, we have a middleweight bout with somebody who has been the bane of existence of ankle pick pod, Abdul Razak Al Hassan. And he is fighting Jacob Malkoon. DK, go ahead. So, yeah, Razak Al-Hassan, I don't think, has won since we started the podcast. Um, but I think this is a really good matchup for him. Uh, <laughs> a guy who just got knocked out by Phil Hawes in 18 seconds in his, in his only UFC fight. I feel like they're feeding him to a guy who hits harder than Phil Hawes. I think the line's still going to be high, even though Abdul's on a two-fight losing streak. Um, I'm also seeing no affiliation for Jacob Malcoon, which worries me because, like, does he not even? He is, he is an Aussie guy. It, I don't know if it's city kickboxing, but I do know that he he's could he be, maybe be with Whitaker because Whitaker's on the card. Yeah, maybe he's Whitaker's Artem Lobov. <laughs> um, I'm gonna, go... <laughs> I'm gonna go with Al Hassan. Minus 200. Mm. Mm. Uh, I think I'm going to go higher. So, Dan, this is a you question. You're a lot more entwined with the gyms. How long has Hassan been at uh, Fortis? A while? A couple camps now? Or whole career type thing? Or is that a it, re- at least his last two losses? Um Okay. I mean, Honestly, I know we have, we have a before mixture. before the Lizette's fight, he hadn't fought since 2018. So it's pretty feasible that he moved to Fortis and hasn't won at Fortis. Yeah. And we have mixed relationships about Fortis. It's like we like them, and then they send Manyfield out there to get slaughtered, and then we're right back where we start. But Malcoon is the guy. I remember when we first talked about him before he got absolutely stouched by Phil Hawes. We were talking about how this is like the definition of a COVID fighter 4 0 just randomly gets thrown to Phil Hawes. I remember us being like, why is he even in the UFC yet? Does he have a naked picture of Dana White somewhere? It didn't make a whole lot of sense. I don't really see that changing. I agree with you. I think this is a phenomenal matchup. I think that um, Al Hassan has the ability to, with the type of fight style, to be a real star in this sport. He's a very scary man. I wouldn't be surprised if Dana kind of just given him a lamb to slaughter I see a three in front of it, even though he's on a two fight skid chaos Williams hits like a Mack truck. We know that. And then Lizaz is a prospect that Danny, you and I both have talked about quite a bit, but before that he stouched Nico price. That's a pretty good win. Sabas Muhammad, uh, Sabah Hamasi twice. Uh, and, and he's an ex tough guy. I'm pretty sure. But I, I still think Al Hassan has some stuff left in the tank. I'm going to give a three. I'm going to say minus three. 15 oh Hassan 
it's a big line. 295 or whatever for the other guy, 285. Point Reese and not big enough. Minus 350. Wow. Hassan. shit. Is that five dimes right now? Three, five dimes. Has that, hey, Kobe, where'd that open? Has that seen movement? Open minus 290. Danny, you know what? You know what? I have that backwards. Open minus 350, sitting at minus 290. Still point Reese. Oh. What did Danny have? 220? 200. 200. Yeah. Yeah. And to be honest with you, not that I don't think it's worth betting either side, but. I think you're on to something where getting a guy like, I mean, we, Al Hassan's proven to be reckless. There could potentially be a value spot there. I don't think I laid the 300. I just. Next mm-hmm. fight on the main card, a heavyweight bout. Andre Arlovsky and Chase Sherman. DK, go for it. The teammate of. Um, Gravely. Yeah. Mr. Gravely's teammate, Andre Arlovsky. Gravely talked about him too. Right. I grew up idolizing him or, or watching him, which is pretty cool. Right, and he surprised me in his last fight versus Tom Aspinall. Um, or no, 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 he surprised me versus Tanner Bozer. Oh yeah, he got that, subbed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. In that fight versus Tanner Bozer, he really surprised me. Um, he looked a lot more sharp, and I thought Bulldozer was gonna bulldoze him. And I kind of have the same feeling about the Vanilla Gorilla, but I really don't know. Um, this is tough. I'm going to go with experience here. I'm going to say Arlovsky's the favorite. I'm going to go minus 170. Yeah. Because I don't think. Yeah, you put me in a pickle. That I, I, I would mean, bet it there. Yeah, I don't like Chase Sherman at all. Um, I mean, no, I have nothing against him as a guy or anything like that. It's, it's, it's not that. It's more just he was in the UFC for a while. He's kind of someone you could see being, I mean, if he really cared about his diet, he's got the frame of a light heavyweight. But he just, I mean, he got cut from the UFC a while ago after dropping a lot of fights in a row. And I think he just recently made his, yeah, he was a short notice fight against Ike Villanueva. Before that, he was in bare knuckle bouts and, and, I just don't know if this is just more of a – if he's just more of like a like guy, a weak heavyweight division type call-up guy. Not sure. The problem is I swore off betting Andre Orlovsky because I get sucked into being a longtime fan of him, and I don't know what the 42-year-old still has in the tank to be fighting young guys. So you put me in a pickle. I love that 170 line. I'm going to say that just because of Chase Sherman's resume, I'm going to take the over, and I'm just going to go minus 190 for Arlovsky. It's just so hard to bet a 42-year-old at that price. Point DK, Arlovsky's only sitting at minus 140 after opening minus 130. Hmm. Okay. See, that seems like value there. Just from knowledge alone. Trying to tease us into it. Yeah. So 2-2, we got our fifth fight of the main card, the co-main, lightweight bout, Jeremy Stevens and Drakkar Close, DK. I'm sorry, Reese, you're up. Oh, it is me? It is you. This one I think I'll get pretty close. I, I'm familiar with both these guys very much. I, I, I actually like both these guys very much. Jeremy Stevens, longtime veteran of the sport, most famously known for getting 
facepalm by McGregor in that one interview. Who the fuck is that guy? But nonetheless, although he's his record, his losses, he's on a bit of a skid here. But I mean, he's. Ta- I mean, we're talking about absolute killers here. I mean, Jose Aldo, Zabit, Yair Rodriguez, Calvin Cater. I mean, I'm not mad about any of those. I remember the Cater one was kind of vicious. Before that, though, he upset Duho Choi and beat Josh Emmett, both by KO. He's got power for sure. I think Drakkar Close has been riddled by the injury bug. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like it, we haven't really seen him as often as I would like. Last bout, 2020, I guess not that bad, but lost to Benel Dariush. I think the experience is going to give Jeremy Stevens the edge. I think Drakkar Close is like honestly a perfect level of a step level down from the guys he's been fighting to give Jeremy Stevens back in the win column. I'm going to go small favorite. Let's go Jeremy Stevens minus 130. The car close plus 110. And I see a lot of fluctuation there. I think it's like such a good line. I think either one of them could be minus 130 and in that range, anything in between. I I agree with everything you're saying. And and I think I I am just going to echo the experience even a little bit more. He really is the definition of the gatekeeper for, I mean, both uh, feather and lightweight for a while. I mean, with losses to like Dean Thomas, Joe Lozon, Pettis, yeah. Cerrone, Eve Edwards, Cub Swanson, Charles Oliveira, Holloway, Frankie Edgar, Moicano, Jose Aldo, Zabit, like, and then, and then the most recent ones, but I think I'm going to go higher because okay. I'm, not as high on Dracar close, I guess. Um, I'm gonna go maybe minus 180. See, I like Dracar close. I, I think he's a guy that has a, brings a lot to the table, but you're not worried about, I guess, cappers or just better casual betters seeing the four fight skid. I mean, it is against killers, but it's hard to have a guy minus 200 after a four fight skidder, right? Or is that just me? Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I agree with you, I think the experience holds a ton of weight. I'm just, I'm just thinking, will people see it the way we see it? I think it's going to be lower, but I think you're right. I think St- Jeremy Stevens is the right play. That's where I'm at. I mean, this four-fight skip includes going 15 full minutes with Zabit. True. Lower is right, as it currently sits. Minus 125, <sighs> Stevens. Oh, wow. Is so that could be a play. I'll even. be betting Stevens if it's yeah, at 120. That- or one, whatever, 130. Yeah, I think Danny's right. I think Danny's right. I think that's probably the play to make. I just – I think the four-fight scale is going to weigh a little heavy. What Three, did you open two, at, Kobe? Uh, 110 both ways. Okay. So, yeah, it's starting to creep that way. 3-2 Reese going into the main event of the evening. We've got a middleweight bout. Bobby Nux, Robert Whitaker, and Kelvin Gastelum. Reese, go for it. No, I just not. Ice it. Wait, do I go? Didn't I just go first? I just you did. First. I've been making them up yeah, all night. DK, you're up first. Hmm. Here's my question: Is how high am I going to go for Whitaker? Um, <laughs> we don't need to get too far into it, but Robert's a guy who think is next up for middleweight title or a challenge for the middleweight title, and Kelvin is not a guy I think is on his way to the, another title opportunity and win over Ian Heinish doesn't really prove a ton. Um, I am going to go minus 275. Such a good line. Um, 
that is such a good lineup. Yeah, I'm right around there. I mean, I'm like the biggest Bobby Knuckles fan on around. I love him. And I think Calvin Gaslam, I even was fading him against Ian Heinish. Like, I think that he's after that Hermanson fight, he might have been a little bit exposed. I think Whitaker will probably make quick work of him here. Except for some reason, is it weird? Am I the only one panel, uh, a genuine question, that still worries about Bobby Knuckles' chin at all? Am I the only one? I'm not. Like, Really? I'm, I'm, I'm looking over the Cannoneer and the Till wins in my head and just kind of – I think either one of those guys would be like a minus 200 or plus favorite yeah. to Kelvin. I agree. And he disposed of them like pretty easily. Yeah, and I've been riding Bobby Knuckles for – ever and i'm going to continue to do so really makes izzy look better to be honest with you just shows you how quick work he made of him but i'm gonna go bobby knuckles minus two i i kept i i've been envisioning 255 for some reason and i i think it's 255 yeah 255 i think calvin yeah i like to i think robert whitaker minus 255 is perfect i think that's probably dead on the nose I'll probably have Whitaker and some parlays if it's under. Give it to me dead on the if nose. If it's at 250 or something. Give it to me dead on the nose. Point game Reese. Let's go! Mm. Minus 260. Oh! And Great by the number. way, it opened at right minus there, 275. Danny. Oh, Danny was right on it. Danny, I've been impressed with as this show has gone on how close we continue to get to each spread. And even the ones we're like guessing a little, or not even a little, that, uh, the, um, Pena Munoz. The Ray, the yeah. Munoz, that was a complete, that was a guess for me, but still. My reasoning was I like Munoz. I think he's the more reliable fighter and I would choose Bob Ross as the favorite. <laughs> yeah. Nine, me too. Nine episodes into the season and Danny and I have traded off every single time. No one's had more than a one-point lead. I think it's just been reached with a one-point lead every time. Yeah, the, and so Damn, tune in I need next to get week. myself a lead. Tune in next week to see Danny's victory. <laughs> All right, well, let's close it up with that. Again, thanks to Tony Gravely, who joined us at the beginning of this episode. And we will be back to break down the card bottom to top with our regularly scheduled programming later this week. Anything else to add? Poha! Poha! Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.